You're listening to Holistic Wednesdays, your weekly podcast where healing practitioners and master coaches, Amy and Shelley, share their wisdom and expertise to offer hope, healing, and transformation as they share living holistic in the modern world. Let's join Amy and Shelley. Hi, Shelley. Hey, Amy. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. How is your week? Oh, it's been awesome. I actually got some me time in. I went to a basketball game. I went to a concert. Like, I had a great week. How about you? Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. I didn't get to go to any concert, but I had a great week too. (laughs) So what are we talking about this week, Amy? We are continuing our series on postpartum care. I'm so excited about our guest today. I am too. I think she's absolutely spectacular. And I'm so grateful that she came on our show. If you're following this series with postpartum, last week we spoke to a yoga instructor and personal trainer, Haley, who shared a lot of her experience with postpartum anxiety and things that she has learned through her process. And today we are going to speak with Kristen Mason. Kristen is the executive director of KC Women's Ministry, a birth worker run nonprofit organization that supports mothers and families and the owner operator of Childbirth Together Education and Doula Services. She is cross certified full spectrum doula through Bebo Mia and Still Birthday, as well as certified childbirth educator through Milestone Midwifery. Kristen has a weekly podcast on YouTube with KC Women's Ministry and can be found on social medias, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and her website, kcwomensministry.org and childbirthtogether.com. All her social media links and website links will be in the show notes. And I am so excited to have her on. She's going to give us so much good information. And so with that, let's listen in. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you. Excited to be here. So do you, have you heard um, very much about the Lindsay Clancy case? I, yeah. I am familiar with that case. This has really sparked the conversation about postpartum care and the lack of it here in the United States. Last week, when Haley was on the show, we were talking about how they get better postpartum care in other countries than we get here in the United States. When I had my kids, I didn't really know about a doula. I didn't know it was something that I had an option to do. And I think it's really important that women know all the options that are available to them. And a doula has so much more to offer than the standard Western world birthing postpartum experience. So I just want you to explain it all to us. Yeah, there's many different kinds of doulas. If we're talking about postpartum specifically, we're going to be people who actually come into the home to support people after they have babies. So we're doing a, a prenatal where we come and meet you before you have the baby and doulas are then going to be talking to you about what do you do now for self-care? And we're talking about different levels of self-care, right? So the basic level of you shower, how often, and, um, you know, what kind of foods are you eating? Do you feel satiated by that? Does that make you feel good? What kind of exercise are you doing? Things like that. The absolute basics. 
And then we go to the next level of when you're not reaching those levels of self-care, um, that's not enough. What do you do to make yourself feel better? So hiking your thing. Do you like to go camping? Is it a favorite television show that helps calm you down? Cause you've seen it so many times and actually writing those things down, which is really, really helpful because when you're in the postpartum space, where you might be experiencing a postpartum mood disorder. It's really hard to think of those things on your own, but if you already have them written down for everybody in the household, because every adult that lives in the household who is exposed to the baby is at risk for developing a postpartum mood disorder. So we want to make sure that everybody in the home has a care plan. And that's what we're doing before baby is even born. After baby is born, we physically come into the home to help take care of the whole family. Our focus is going to be on mom, but we take care of everybody. And that includes kids. That includes a spouse. If you have one partner of any kind, um, making sure that everybody's cup is full. We're also teaching you how to do things like get gas out of baby. A lot of times when babies are being diagnosed with something like colic, it's because there's a special trick that we can find that's different for every baby that works wonderfully. And we get to come in and try all these different things and then teach it to you. What type of feeding are you doing? And then we can help support you in that. Do you have a feeding goal that we can help get you to? And then teaching everybody in the home how to support you our job is to work ourselves out of a job. We want you to not need us anymore. And then towards the end of us getting together, it's a lot of sitting and chatting um, and taking mental health screenings that we don't grade because we're not mental health professionals, but we bring them, you take them. And if they're concerning, you bring them to a mental health professional. So we're helping to look at all kinds of different postpartum mood disorders um, because depression isn't the only one. And so I think it's very interesting that you said that it can affect everyone in the household. I never really realized that. Yeah. yeah. So if you've got, um, you know, sleep deprivation is huge and anybody in the house that's going to be woken up by the baby is going to experience some form of sleep deprivation. Or if we're looking at just the hormonal changes in the household, it's disruptive to everybody's schedule and everybody who's feeling a responsibility over the baby is at risk and the highest risk is within the first year, but it doesn't necessarily go away at that point. Um, so that's something that if you're caring for an infant, for a toddler in any way, keeping an eye on, is my cup full is really important. What signs would you look for a mood change that you need to refer to a mental health? Three different screenings that I refer to. And, you know, hopefully my clients are going to be having multiple sessions with me. And what I can do is bring all of the different screenings with me that look at different things. Um, so we're looking at sleep patterns. Are you sleeping through baby crying because you're so exhausted or on the opposite end? Are you finding that even though you're absolutely exhausted, you can't fall asleep because you can have both or you can have one or the other. And both of these are concerning symptoms. Um, we're looking at the same thing with eating. Can you not stop eating even though you're full? and you're just doing it mindlessly, and it might not even be something that you like, or even though you haven't eaten in a long time, you're not feeling hungry. The idea of eating is just really off-putting to you. Or maybe you don't feel like eating at all during the day, and then suddenly at night, you're binging like crazy, and that's not something that you used to do. Those dramatic changes in your habits, and of course, we're looking at things like zoning out for long periods of time um, where people are just staring into the distance out the window, don't even realize the time has passed. Um, when I give these exams, I like to sit down 
with my clients and I tell them to take a deep breath, close their eyes and imagine for the past week on average, how would they answer these questions? So they're not just saying, well, now that you're here and you're holding baby and they're finally not crying and I've been fed, I feel great. We're talking about how have you felt when I'm not here, when that's not the case. And we're looking for partners to watch each other if you're able to have somebody in the home to watch for you. So I want mom paying attention to dad if that's the case that's in the home, dad paying attention to mom if that's, and that's going to tell me a lot more where I can sit down with the other person and say, what have you noticed that's different about your partners? And once you ask that question, it's amazing what they'll come up with that they didn't realize that they were noticing. Pregnant woman comes to you and wants you to go on this journey with them. What's it look like from that end, from the beginning? So encompassing all of my services, let's say somebody comes to me and they are not pregnant yet and they would like to become pregnant. Then they can hire me as a fertility doula. I'm going to your appointments with you to help kind of the, a lot of times when we're talking about fertility or really any kind of doctor's appointments, doctors use language that you don't necessarily understand. And they're not meaning to, it's just the communication is getting lost somewhere, or they don't mention all of the different options because they have a preference. So I can sit there with you and just say, okay, so what you mean by that is this, and they can make corrections if it's not, because I speak both, um, because I'm going to doctor's appointments all the time and helping to make that easy. It's also great to have a fertility doula because if you wake up in the middle of the night and you've started your period and you're very upset about that, you can call me. I'm the person that completely understands what having a period feels like as a loss and can help explain that to your partner if they're having difficulty understanding that, help keep everybody on the same page and feeling fully supported. So I can also help track your cycle for you and send you text messages that says, hey, sometime in the next, you know, four or five hours would be a great time to have sex in order to get pregnant. There's no such thing as TMI for me. You can take pictures of things and say, I'm supposed to be putting this into my app, but I have no idea if it's supposed to be listed as wet, sticky, clear. I don't know. I can kind of see it. And I can look at that picture and say, okay, this is why you should put it in there. Um, this is what they mean by hard and soft, just explaining things better. So let's say that you have become pregnant, you're super excited, and we start the birth services. So I'm 24 hour text message support for any kind of questions or concerns. Um, you can send me pictures of whatever discharge you're having. And I can say, yeah, that looks kind of concerning. Let's talk to your nurse. Or I can say, oh yeah, that's, that's totally what happens when you're pregnant and give you a release of mind. Um, I'm also going to be really good for sending you referrals to, you know, if you've got nutrition questions or you go into an appointment and you come out and you say, I have no idea, or I don't even know I'm supposed to be asking questions before I go in. I know about where you are and what kind of things you're going to be talking about in that appointment. And I can say, let's talk about what you guys are going to discuss before you even go in. And you can walk in with those questions because you have a very short amount of time with most doctors in a prenatal. Now, if you're saying a midwife, those are generally longer. Um, love working with midwives. They're great. I can also help make referrals for this is the type of birth that you're wanting. This is generally where I would expect to get that kind of birth. And this is who I would expect you to be able to have that kind of birth with. Helping you switch providers if that's something that you're interested in. I'm also going to come into your home two times, generally about 30 weeks and about 36 weeks. Those are called prenatals. So in those prenatal appointments, we're doing your birth plan. We're learning what your preferences are. We're practicing advocacy. Everybody wants to be advocated for differently. Um, do you want me speaking up for you? How do you want me to verify that what I'm saying is what you want? 
and not just what we talked about before, but what you want now that allows you to change your mind when you're giving birth, because you can and you do. And I want to make sure that I'm never speaking against what you actually want. Do you want to speak up for yourself and you just want me to be the person who's standing there nodding next to you? Because that can be really powerful. Um, and going over that, what do you want if you have a partner or you have a support person who's attending your birth or both? How do you want them to advocate? Um, making sure that they are doing it correctly. I like to do an exercise where I have the support people do a wall squat. Going back to my gymnastics coach days. And I come and I stand next to them and I say, oh my gosh, that looks so hard. Oh, I can feel your pain. I wish I could take this for you. Because so many people support that way. And they're like, oh my gosh, that doesn't help. Exactly. Now let's try this. And I say, you are so strong. I am here with you. We are doing this. Keep eye contact. Breathe. I know you can do this. And they're like, oh, that's so much better. Exactly. Let's change that. So I'm training everybody in the space before we even get there. Um, and doing trauma-informed care. You know, I'm taking your history and learning what are your potential triggers. Maybe it's not a good idea for you to do nitrous oxide because that's a mask over your face. And maybe that's triggering for you for something that's happened in your past. And I explain what I'm going to do to change your situation so that those triggers don't happen to earn more trust. So then you share with me more. And by the time you give birth, I know you like really, really, really well. And so then I'm able to interpret things better. I'm able to keep the space how you prefer it. Um, and of course, um, I'm going to be physical care. So I'm doing hip compressions. I'm doing back presses. I'm using my rebozo. Um, and I'm able to read your body language. So you don't necessarily have to tell me where you're feeling the discomfort. I can tell from the way that you're standing and the sound that you're making. Um, so a lot of in-person support when you're giving birth. After you've given birth, of course, I'm doing that postpartum care that we talked about. I'm also certified in bereavement. So if you've experienced a loss before or you experience a loss during our care, I have a lot of tools to help commemorate the loss, to help you grieve, to help other people grieve, setting up your boundaries. One of my favorite tricks is putting a cooler outside of your front door with a little sign on it that says, thank you for coming. Please leave food here if you're not ready for people to come inside and talk to you. Setting up meal plans and things like that can be really helpful. It sounds like such a great experience. Why don't more women do this? Is it just because they don't know that that option's available to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people have no idea. And for a lot of people, there's a financial difficulty of, you know, everything that I just listed, that's a lot of on-call time for me. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of not being able to go out of town because you might have a baby at any time. That's a lot of getting up in the middle of the night. And so I need to be compensated for that. Me to live. Um, and so for a lot of people, that's unattainable, which is actually one of the reasons I found it. Well, help found. I didn't do it by myself. Casey Women's Ministry is to help people that fall into those cracks. So we have a sliding scale. So you reach out to us and say, I can't afford a doula, but I really want one. And I say, okay, send me your tax information. And then we go off of federal poverty guidelines to set our prices for you to help make it accessible to everybody. If you're on WIC or you're with one of our partners, we partner with um, a teen mom shelter here called Mother's Refuge. We partner with domestic violence shelters. Um, then your services are free. And so we have donors that donate money and we have people who um, hire us at our full price. And then 20% of that goes to fund our nonprofit work to make it to where everybody is able to have doula services and the doulas are still compensated.
Wow, that is incredible. What a great program. Where are you based, Kristen? We are in the Kansas City metro area. So do you have to live in Kansas City metro in order to use your services? In order to use our in-person services at the moment. We are currently working on expanding down into Oklahoma and into Iowa. So we'll be in your area here pretty soon. That's awesome. Um, working on it, but we also offer virtual services, which is everything that I just said, but over the phone and over video chat, we got very good at this during COVID because we were suddenly no longer allowed into hospitals. And we had clients that were saying, you know, a lot of our teen moms or our graduates of the foster care system, they didn't have anybody to go to their births with them. You know, the dad wasn't sticking around and their parents kicked them out. Um, and so we were their only support and then we weren't allowed to go. So we got really good at supporting people in their homes beforehand and then virtually when they went in. So we're quite adept at that. What if a listener that doesn't live in your area was wanting to find a doula, where would you suggest they start looking to find someone credible? Yeah, to find somebody credible, um, I actually don't recommend using certifications, which I know is where a lot of people are going to say to go. I actually would recommend doing word of mouth. Get on Facebook and ask. There's all kinds of groups that are um, going to be more, and excuse this term if you don't like it, crunchy. They tend to know a lot about the birth world and just getting in and saying, you can even search it because I can almost guarantee you somebody already has, who's local and good. Because just because somebody is certified doesn't necessarily mean that they really got learned from the training super well. So we actually have apprentices that come in and uh, we mentor them and teach them that they come out of their certifications and they didn't necessarily learn everything that needs to be learned in a birth space. And we teach them and they come to the births with us. And so by the time they graduate our program, they've been to several births and they have learned how to do things in person. Um, so getting word of mouth recommendations would be how I would go for it. I think if more people did this, we would see less postpartum anxiety and depression and psychosis because you would catch it or you would see the symptoms. Your aftercare lasts until you just feel like they're ready. Until they feel like they're ready. So they let us know when they're feeling better and they're done with their services. Um, that's going to be different for every doula. Some doulas cut off their postpartum services at three months and then refer you to a nanny. Case Women's Ministry, we do until you say you're done. You're going to know that way better than we are. We might have some doulas that specialize in different ages better. And you can decide if you want to go more of, I'm looking for somebody who specializes in what my baby is going through. All of us are going to be special in taking care of what the family and the parents are going through, regardless of the baby's age. Typically, I see generally about four and a half months. Um, there's a sleep regression that happens at four months. So even if it kind of dwindles off at around two and or three, I end up getting a phone call at around four months and they say, oh my gosh, what happened? So your baby has developed REM sleep. <laughs> Teach this baby how to sleep. Would you like me to come do some overnight care for you? And then I watch the baby while they sleep and everything is great. <laughs> So you even stay in the house overnight? Yes, ma'am. Yep. You wake up in the morning, your house is clean, your laundry's done, your baby's been taken care of, and I made coffee. I don't wow. have a baby. Can you come by? <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that you're needed way more in a first-time mom than you are 
a mom who's experienced and had more children? I find that I'm needed for different things. So for a first time mom, I'm teaching them a lot of things like gas burping. Um, there tends to be a lot more breastfeeding support and first time moms, if that's what they're choosing to do. It's a lot of teaching the basics for moms that have older children. They tend to already know those things, but a lot of times there's stuff that they were interested in for their first that they didn't know how to do like baby wear, or maybe they decided to feed with formula, but they wanted to breastfeed. And so having somebody there to help them, then I'm helping support that. And I'm also doing a lot of sibling care and introduction. So sometimes you have jealous siblings that um, I can come in and I have a lot of tools for helping them to bond. Or sometimes you have babies that are still waking up in the middle of the night. So having me come and stay, I'm helping with both children or however many are having regressions because baby is born. You can have baby, you have children that are five, six years old that start wetting the bed and waking up at night again because a baby was born and having me come in to help support as a sibling uh, doula, which I also am, that changes a lot of the mental health in the home. Which is so important. And then mm-hmm. specifically to postpartum depression, do you see that running higher in first-time mom versus moms that are more experienced? Honestly, I see baby blues. So that's going to be a lot of the same symptoms of postpartum depression specifically. For the first two weeks, generally after giving birth, it's generally thought to be a hormonal response. Happens in anybody, just like any postpartum mood disorder. It's not specific to moms. It's very common. I see it almost every postpartum visit that I do within the first two weeks, if I don't see it, then I get a little concerned that I haven't done my due diligence and my clients are masking um, or hiding. You know, there's like a face expression that they get where they're trying to show that they're happy and you say, okay, we need to, to do some work to get you comfortable showing me how you're actually feeling um, and start there. So I go into a home in the first two weeks expecting that most everybody in the household is going to be experiencing postpartum blues, sometimes purely due to sleep deprivation, but very, very rarely do I not see that. As far as the other postpartum mood disorders of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, I see those very often of postpartum anxiety most in first-time moms, but postpartum depression, I see pretty across the board, um, especially moms that are having their second and they're experiencing having to stay awake all day with their older child and then stay awake all night with their baby. And suddenly there is no nap time and there is no time for them to catch up on that. And so I see a lot of postpartum depression and second time moms. And there's a huge difference between second and third um, as well, where suddenly you've got more babies than you have hands. So I, I see that pretty frequently. Postpartum rage, I see pretty evenly across the board. That one I suspect happens more often than I see it because that is the one that is hidden the most. People are most ashamed of postpartum rage, especially if that rage is directed toward their baby. Um, So that takes a lot. If I suspect that it takes a lot of trust earning before someone will actually confide in me for that one. We haven't really talked a lot about postpartum rage. Can you explain that a little bit to us? So I have personal experience with all of the postpartum mood disorders. I had them with my first. She was born early and she had a lot of complications and I had very little support once my mom had to go back home. Postpartum rage is almost unexplainable and instant. You can get it while pregnant, even though it's called postpartum. 
um, and in your postpartum where you become incredibly angry very, very quickly. You can have very angry thoughts, even if you're not acting on them. And it's just sudden, intense temper that can happen in pregnancy, in postpartum. It's often like, oh, I was just being hormonal. You might have a postpartum mood disorder, even as if you have control over it, where you're just so angry, but you don't act on it, which is what I was doing. That still isn't something that you need to be experiencing. And you can go see a healthcare professional and they can help you release those feelings, find where your cup is empty. That's causing this rage to bubble out of you and get you into a place where what bubbles out of you is much more kind, especially towards yourself. One's not very talked about. I think once again, because it's got such a shame attached to it, we shame people that experience strong anger. It's frowned upon in our society to have intense negative feelings, but especially anger, especially expressed anger and mothers and fathers that are having these babies. You're supposed to be so happy. How can you be angry? It's a baby. I can be angry because this baby's been screaming for 12 hours and I can't figure out how to make the baby better. And I can't ask for help because I feel so mad. And that's when it's important for a doula can step in. Yes. I just a few days ago, I got a phone call from a dad that had come home and I had just started services with this family. Thank goodness I did. Um, and he said, I don't know what's going on. I haven't gone into the room yet, but I can hear the baby screaming and my wife I've never heard her making these noises before. I was like, okay, you need to go get the baby. She needs to be away from the baby. And I need her handed the phone. And then virtually over the phone, I was able to find out what happened, realize that in her state of pure exhaustion, she had lost track of the time and needed to feed the baby. It was that simple. The baby was hungry, but in her mind, it was still 10 o'clock in the morning. The baby had just eaten. Mm-hmm. but it had actually been, it was two o'clock in the afternoon. And so the baby needed to eat. And then I was able to talk to him to say, this is what we need to do to prevent this from happening in the future and talk to her. Anytime you start feeling that anger, the correct thing is to put baby down in a safe space, put the baby in a crib, go calm down, replenish yourself, eat something, maybe go outside for a bit, take the baby monitor with you. And it's much better to have the baby in a safe space where you calm down and then come back than to try and force yourself past that anger and stay with them. Then nobody's getting better. Absolutely. Wow. That's awesome advice. Kristen, I'm wondering what happens if a baby has to go into the NICU after delivery. What can you do as a doula and how is that beneficial? So sometimes NICU stays are planned and we can do prep beforehand where we sit down and go over what the different machines are that you're going to see in the NICU. Walking in and seeing instead of the space being overwhelming and all of these unfamiliar things, going through and being able to recognize everything is huge. We go over what transfer over to the NICU is probably going to look like, depending on how we know that baby is going to be transferred. And then in the birth space, we verbally explain everything that's happening because the medical professionals are generally very focused on keeping everybody alive, which is what we want them focused on. My job is to make sure that you feel in control and informed consent. It's not possible if you don't have the information. So my job is to say, okay, they've taken baby over to the warmer. 
they're doing resuscitation right now. You know, we're listening this and I'm watching. I know I've received the training. I've had this experience of babies going to NICU before of what's going on. And then mom isn't going, what's happening to my baby? What's happening to my baby? I can tell you. And then we go over beforehand of, you know, support person who has the bracelet, which is not going to be me. I never wear the NICU bracelet. It's going to go with baby, right? So we've already established this. So then I prepare that partner. This is what transfer looks like. Let's talk about what feeding we're going to be doing before they go in. These are the questions that they're going to be asking you. Let's get some answers before you go in there. So you're not deer in the headlights. And then I stay with mom mm-hmm. and do all of the, the postpartum care things um, that happen after you give birth and facilitate that. A lot of people don't know that they actually can set up a little camera and give you um, a tablet of some kind. And then you can watch baby from your room. So I make sure to get that set up, um, which helps a lot with the separation. Um, So I'm also an advocate for just making sure that you know these different things. I facilitate the conversations with the different nurses. RN nurses are amazing. NICU nurses are fantastic. My sister is one. Um, They're focused on baby. And a lot of times they don't communicate as much with the parents because that's not their job and they have a lot to do to keep these babies alive. And that's what their focus is. So I'm there to work as a kind of conduit to say, hey, what's going on here? Um, And then I can reiterate the information um, or can just be a part of the conversation by just standing there and helping facilitate it. I know the questions to ask. If we don't know, it's a surprise NICU visit. We're not gonna be able to do all of that prep beforehand, but a lot of that stuff is still applicable. I'm still explaining what's happening. I'm still letting them know what the nurses are saying as to why. I'm able to hear what they're saying and then let the mom know. She generally is not able to hear because she's in that fight or flight, um, very, very high. And then I have all those conversations that I would have prenatally and I have them in the room. I'm doing it very slowly and making sure that informed consent is still the center of the space. Um, and just setting them up with the different people that they need to be in contact with in the hospital. Most hospitals have a very smooth system. Um, if a transfer is going to need to happen because they need to go to a higher level NICU than is available in the hospital, then that's even more information that needs to be talked through. That's really good to have a doula there to really break things down. When you get that level of upset, you need to be spoken to respectfully, but also at a level that you're able to interpret because that's just how our brains work in overwhelm. Um, So I'm there to do that. Tell us about some of the different types of birth experiences besides traditional in the hospital with your OB. So many kinds of ways that that baby can come out of you and you can have a baby basically wherever you want. I've been to so many different kinds and they are all beautiful and amazing. Home birth is fantastic. I support you giving birth where you feel safe. I'm going to start there. I'm going to talk very positively about the other options, but that doesn't mean that I don't think positive things about the traditional option as well. Just starting there. That's amazing. I had my first baby at home. My sister, uh, Chelsea is pregnant with her sixth and she's about to have her fifth home birth. We love home birth. It's the best. And if you're able to have your baby at home with an experienced midwife, they're amazing. And it's completely safe. I have interviews done with home birth midwives posted to my channel where they go over the safety protocols that they have and how safe it is to have a baby at home. 
every study statistically shows it's safer to have a home birth than to have a hospital birth if you are not considered high risk. They're amazing. You get to give birth wherever you want in your house. Water birth is fantastic for the people that like it. You don't know if you're going to like it until you're in that water. It's actually quite funny. Don't get into the water until you're in active labor because it's so relaxing. It can actually slow your labor down. And we don't want that. Um, I have done labors with people at birth centers. So it's kind of the in-between, right? So people aren't necessarily comfortable giving birth at home. They don't want to give birth at a hospital. I've worked with a lot of people that have PTSD that don't want to go into a hospital because they will have a reaction to being in the hospital. And so we do, you know, like a birth center option is fantastic. It's still more medicalized than at home. You still have to travel. So those are still aspects that some people that are wanting a home birth don't necessarily want that are going to be at a birth center, but they have more access to some medical equipment in case something happens. And they have a very fast ambulance system just in case of an emergency transfer. Really, really rare. Most birth centers have like a 5% transfer rate, which is like most hospitals have a 30% C-section rate. So mm. looking at that, their C-section rates are going to be incredibly lower. So if you're not looking for a belly birth, which is another way of saying C-section, then having a home birth or a birth center birth is a great option. If you're wanting a, what could be called an all natural birth, all birth is natural, but birth that doesn't have medication is often referred to as an all natural birth at a hospital. You absolutely can. It's just harder um, depending on which type of hospital you go to. Normally, if you're looking at a hospital that has midwives, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work with the midwives, but the fact that they have them is another way of them opening more choice for their patients, which is what we're looking for, for people who are more likely to facilitate non-medicated birth. And we're looking for ones that are going to have things that are helpful for you, such as birth tubs. Actually having, there's different kinds of pain medication that's not necessarily just all natural epidural. So we've got IV pain meds. Do they have um, nitrous oxide, which is laughing gas? It takes it off at the top of your um, contraction. It just take a deep breath. You kind of feel a little floaty and then you come back down. So that's something that can go through your system very quickly. So we're looking at those types of things for if they have access to them, especially if they have access to like a Bluetooth monitor. So instead of being strapped with those wires, I'm sure mm -hmm. you remember being strapped with wires that are plugged into the wall and then you're like, I can't get no. to the bathroom, mm -hmm. <laughs> use it. Um, so then if they have one of those and nurses that actually know how to use them, because that's unfortunate when that happens, mm. um, then you're going to be able to walk around. Then you're going to be able to actually get into a tub and use all of the different tools that might be available to you in that hospital. And then if you're looking for a medicated birth, I would recommend not getting an epidural until you're in active labor for the same reason that I don't recommend getting into the tub. It might slow your labor down if you get it really early because you suddenly become so comfortable and it really messes with the hormone releases. Um, but if that's what you're looking for, you're going to want to have a hospital that has natural options for helping to keep your labor going once you have an epidural. They're going to want to have peanut balls, which is like an exercise ball, but it's shaped like a peanut. Mm -hmm. um, we can use that in a bunch of different positions to put you in to help you continue to labor or a cub so you can continue to get on your hands and knees so that baby, heaviest part of their head is the back. We're laying on our back. 
we don't want them turning around so that this part of their head is in your spine. Ouch. We can give birth that way, but it's not the most comfortable way to give birth. Then flip over and have their forehead facing your spine. Well, the best way to do that is to have you on your hands and knees, which is completely doable with an epidural if we have the right tools, right? Looking into those things are all going to help facilitate the type of birth that you're wanting. And there's all different kinds of ways to give birth. What do you do in a situation where you're maybe in the home birth and they've been in labor for 24 hours and they're not, not progressing? What you're talking about is called failure to progress. And what we're looking at there is somebody who's at least six centimeters who has been having strong, consistent contractions for the last four hours. That tends to be something that happens a lot more often in the hospital with an induction. So what I see in that situation is somebody's uterus is tired. The cervix is the bottom of the uterus, right? So if we've got a uterus that's exhausted from being forced to contract, then it stops having the energy to pull up which is what dilation is. It's the cervix being pulled up and out of the way. That's what that cramping is. And so what I do whenever this happens, and it does, is I advocate for my client by suggesting that we turn the Pitocin off and they go to bed. So then once that Pitocin gets turned off and they're able to sleep, then their uterus, which is a muscle, has time to relax. Almost every single time that I have had a birth that experiences this and we turn it off, when they wake up, they've dilated and we're back, right? So then we can turn the Pitocin back on and start continuing to progress. A lot of times they need that break. At a home birth, if that happens, then there's a lot of different position changes that we do. It is not an emergency as long as mom's heart tones are good and baby's heart tones are good. If everybody is continuing and mom is ready to continue laboring, there's such a like a variation of normal for birth that honestly at 24 hours, I'm not even kind of concerned. The longest birth I have ever attended was 56 hours long and mom pushed that baby out just fine. And once a mom has had a C-section, would she be able to have a vaginal birth after that? Absolutely. They're called VBACs, vaginal birth after cesarean, and they are beautiful and they're safer than repeat cesareans. You can also have an HVAC, which is a home birth after cesarean, which is going to be one of the safest ways to give birth after a cesarean section, especially if mom is young and has only had one C-section, but actually regardless of the number of C-sections, um, every study that is done on it shows that it's safer to give birth vaginally than repeat cesarean birth. Is there any advice that you could give to um, a woman that had a C-section, knows they want to have another baby? Is there anything they can do before they're pregnant or while they're pregnant to maybe help not have to have another C-section? VBAC friendly provider that actually does it. Word of mouth, word of mouth. I have a list for myself, for my area that says, these are the people that advertise themselves as VBAC friendly. These are the people that actually are. From the very earliest, you want somebody who actually does VBAC. And when you interview them, because you're hiring them, you're their boss, right? They work for you the whole time. You are their boss. And when you're interviewing these different OBs or midwives, ask them to tell you stories of when they actually did it. Mm, good tip. And see if they actually did. 
or if they're just saying that they do. And then once you reach 39 weeks, they change their mind. That's going to be really important. Nutrition is huge. We need for your body to be very, very healthy. And we need for the cells of your body to be made from very, very healthy cells. Doing uh, the scar massage, that's going to be really important. We want everything to be really soft. Um, you don't want to have a really hard scar. And so going in and getting care from professionals, whether it is a massage therapist that is aware there are different Mayan massage techniques that are fantastic. We have someone at Centered Spirit, his name is Alex, and he does amazing work with breaking up scar tissue for um, people who've had C-sections. And I send all of my clients to say, if you can afford to go get that done, go get that done because he's amazing. Um, that's going to be really, really helpful. And also identify who in your circle supports you, communicate with them, identify who in your circle is nervous. They don't get information about your birth. Sorry. Don't tell them when you've gone into labor. Don't tell them that your water broke. That's important. You need to be surrounded by people that believe in you and anybody who doesn't they can meet the baby after the baby's been born vaginally. Supporting C-section mamas is huge for doulas. I mean, we, non-medical, but man, do we ask you questions about your healing. We want to know, are you getting the shooting fire pain that means nerve damage? Are you able to feel it at all? Are you picking up things that are heavy? Are you laying down on your stomach? I mean... Does it smell? Does it itch? I mean, there's that need to be talked about that moms, even with the C-section, they don't get the postpartum care that they should. And so people aren't coming to their house three days after they've gone home and said, how is this doing? Because if you're telling me that it's itchy right now, it could mean that it's healing appropriately, or it could mean that you're developing an infection. And so there's a lot of questions that we need to ask. And if you're answering any of them in a concerning manner, I'm telling you to call your nurse. And that can save you so much, but the healing, I mean, it's always just, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a mom right now that I'm still doing her postpartum care. She's four and a half months and her scar still is sending those shooting pains of nerve damage. That's got to contribute how the, the mama feels too. I mean, if you've got pain all the time, just like sleep deprivation, it has a wear and tear on your mental health. It mm -hmm. really does. So I'm sure having you around is probably everything. And I've attended a lot of VBACs. They're beautiful. I mean, the empowerment of that mom after pushing a baby out that she was told she could never do. Mm -hmm. um, it's beautiful. Um, I recently went to uh, an HVAC. Um, and man, when she pushed that baby out and held that baby, she was just like, this is you know, it's all the difference in the world and going from a completely medicated C-section birth. And it was planned to a completely respected home birth with her second. She had both very different ends of the spectrum births. Um, but you can do a VBAC in a hospital. You just really have to make sure that your provider supports you. Mm -hmm. I actually had one, she put headphones on and turned up angry rock music really, really loud because that's what she wanted. And when the medical professionals would come in, she wouldn't take them off. And she was like, they talked me into it last time. So I'm just not going to talk to them. Her baby was born in call, which was really cool. It was still in the sack. Those are called mermaid births. They're really cool. Do you have a lot of mothers that keep the placenta and do things with that? Mm -hmm. 
what are some of the advantages and how does that work? There's a bunch of different things you can do with your placenta. Um, some people do placenta art, as funny as that sounds, where they um, kind of dry their placenta a little bit, clean it up, and then cover it with paint and then press it. They're very, very cool. If you paint the veins, it makes really beautiful art. Um, some people plant them. There's religious ceremonies that go on with the uh, planting of the placenta. And then there's different types of symbolic plants that go over them, depending on the religion. That's a really, really cool ceremony. Um, and then there's people that consume them. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. The most processed version is going to be the pills. So they steam them, dry them out, grind them up, put them in a pill capsule, and you take those. The idea is that there's nutrition because it's an organ. Mm -hmm. So it's going to have the same nutrition as they consuming liver pills, but it's your own organ, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the idea that you're replacing hormones lost when you give birth to it. Studies actually don't show that there are hormones still in it when you're taking it that way. Um, so as far as does it help with postpartum mood disorders or not, you know, for some people it does. And for some people it doesn't. So I, you know, when people are saying I'm really concerned for postpartum mood disorders, should I do this? That's how I present it, where I say, if you think that it's going to make you feel better, go for it. Um, mm -hmm. If you're looking for what is statistically going to help, it's going to be building up a support system of people actually helping you do things like sleep, but it's never bad to have a nutrition pill mm -hmm. that is the, es essentially taking a liver pill. Um, that's all kinds of nutrients that we as Westerners tend to not have in our diet. So that's mm -hmm. great. Um, some people actually put them into candy or bonbons, which I just think is amazing. Placenta bonbons exist and apparently they're delicious. I have never had one. Um, and then consume them raw, which is going to be the most nutritious, going to help you the most way to consume a placenta is going to be the less cooked that it is. Yeah. Placenta pills are very, it is the most processed way that you can have a placenta. And I know that the word processed just sounds bad to a lot of people, but it's also for a lot of people, the most appetizing way to consume a placenta because it is a placenta. Yeah. So it and depends on different people and their preferences. What are some other things that people do that aren't maybe as mainstream? Ooh, there's so many. Like maybe so, cord blood. Yeah. There's two different options for what to do after your baby is born as far as, well, three, I guess, um, after your baby is born as far as the cord goes. So you can do delayed cord clamping where you allow the blood that's been pushed out of them as they're going through the birth canal. It was in them in utero, and then they're squeezed. So it's pushed back into the placenta and then they're born and then it rushes back into them. And if you wait and allow until the cord stops pulsing, and so you can see the blood has gone all the way through and then you cut it or you can clamp it pretty quickly and then save that blood and either donate it or save it in case your child develops an illness later. And then you have all of those fetal cells, which are very easy to manipulate and determining what you want into what they need to treat them later. And there's just a little kit that you can order for wherever you're planning on storing it. Um, let your medical professionals know beforehand if 
you're in a hospital where they're very familiar with it, you know, that's something else that when you're doing your interviews, think about what you want in your birth and ask them one, if they do it. And then two, to tell you stories about it, to show that they actually do and that they're not changing what it means a little bit. So then when you're saying, do you do delayed cord clamping? And they say, absolutely. And what they mean is 30 seconds. And what you meant was until it stopped pulsating, right? So we want to get that figured out because maybe they think that they're respecting your wishes when they mm -hmm. cut it at 30 seconds because they delayed it by not doing it right away. But that wasn't what you meant at all. So getting that figured out beforehand, are you familiar with a cord bank? And the instructions that they send are really detailed. So I've never seen anybody do it wrong, but you know, Asking that beforehand and establishing what you want. And even if you change your mind, then ask them in that next prenatal of, is this something that you support? Is it something that I could bring education materials for you? And then you look at them and then we put them in our medical file. You always ask that it's put in the file. Anything that you can get them to sign before it's put in the file, that's even better because that allows the nurses who you're actually going to spend time with in labor and delivery to see that and say, I have been given signed permission by this doctor to do this. It frees them up. A lot of times they want to allow you to do what you want, but they're afraid for their own jobs and the way that they're going to be treated if they let you do that. But if they've got signed permission, it frees them up to be able to do what you want. And then some people just clamp it and then um, give the placenta to the hospital and they sell it. So some people don't cut it off, but you have to do that at home. That's not something that's going to be supported anywhere outside of your house. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I've been to one cord burning, which was beautiful. Um, she gave birth in her bedroom, in her blow up tub. Um, I helped one of her older children catch. And then they all lay down on the bed. We woke up all of the kids. They came in, they each lit a candle and they burned the cord off. There's no nerve endings in there. So it doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, but everybody got to participate and it was really beautiful. Put a little box under it that catches the wax. Um, there's also something called a lotus birth where you never remove it. So they have these really beautiful bags that you can wear and the placenta stays in the bag and eventually it naturally falls off, which is really cool. I have not experienced a lotus birth, but if anybody is in this area wants to do one and wants to hire me, I am so down because I would love that. What's the advantage of the lotus? birth have a lot of religious aspects to it. As far as studies go, they haven't found anything that is particularly helpful, but there is the argument that every intervention has a consequence instead of just allowing nature to do what it does. Every intervention, mm -hmm. including the natural ones, is a line of thought. Now, whether that consequence is good or bad, there's always a consequence to an action. So by not cutting the cord, you're allowing for their time. The closest that I've gotten to a lotus birth, and this is a very funny story, uh, was an accidental home birth, my one and only. She was showing signs to me of being ready to give birth soon, but they have this rule where you're not supposed to go in until you have had contractions that are only on average five minutes apart that last a minute in length for the last hour. So the 5-1-1 rule. Well, she was at 7-1-1. And I just knew from other signs that I care about more as a doula because that's who I am, 
um, that she was going to go really soon. And I was concerned. So I asked them to call and ask if we could go. And it was at, you know, 2.30 in the morning. And they were like, no, she's an early labor. What's wrong with you? I was like, oh, my goodness. I don't know how to explain to you that we need to go. And it had been about 20 minutes since that phone call. And I was like, okay, triage, we can hang out. Like, I know that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, but I, as a doula, I'm supposed to be like, that's labor at home, but I feel like we need to go. And she made it about seven feet away from the door. And then she went, Mm-mm, nope. And she pulled her pants down and the baby came out. Didn't push. It's the craziest thing when that happens. I love it. The baby just like, cause she pulled her pants down and I turned like, I said, no bulge or anything, maybe we'll still make it. And she goes, no, like a really low pitch. And I was like, so we had to, they told me when I was on the phone with the midwife, because immediately called them and said, we're going to have a placenta delivered. I'm non-medical. What do you want to happen here? And then the placenta, thank God, came out with no complications. And then I'm sitting there and I've got a baby and I've got a placenta and I'm going, I'm not cutting this cord right? That is so outside of my scope and I don't have the tools and we're not doing that. So I put a little onesie on it that had buttons and just threaded it through. So we've got a picture of me (laughs) holding this baby with the cord and then I've got the placenta in my hand like this before we left to go uh, get it cut by the professionals. I'm really big on just absolute choice. So I just inform the parents of the different options Mm-hmm. give them research for them to read on their own. If they have questions about it, we can discuss it in depth, but I'm never going to form an opinion on whether I type of birth. They have enough people who are forming opinions. And my job is just to support them in whatever it is that they decide. And if they, you know, if I ever ask them, why are you choosing this? And I find that their answer is lacking a lot of information. Then I say, okay, well, let's talk about you know, I heard you say this. And so I think that we should get a little bit more in depth on that because, you know, that's something that's on a lot of mommy blogs, but that's not actually how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people have that opinion. I would like to introduce you to another one and then we'll see if that changes your mind. But other than that, I don't have an opinion on what you should do with your placenta. I think what you do is so awesome. And I, I wish this would be how all births are in the future. We'd see a huge change in this country in women if we had the support that we needed during our pregnancy and postpartum, especially, I mean, the whole process. Yeah. And so one more question. So if somebody's listening and they're pregnant right now and they didn't know a doula did all this, they didn't know they had this option. It's not too late for them to get a doula. Right. And they should feel no shame and coming in late in the game. They should just say, Hey, this is what I want. What do you offer? No, absolutely not. I had somebody yesterday call and ask for birth support. She's 38 weeks pregnant. Um, She's one of the teen moms that I taught childbirth education to. And she just decided that she wanted one. And um, absolutely no shame. You know, thankfully, I work with a lot of women. So I was able to reach out and get a birth team put together for her. Um, The later that you look, the harder it's going to be to find somebody who's available. But other than that, Mm -hmm. great. Even if the baby's been pushed out, you can have a postpartum doula. It's never too late. Absolutely. Especially if they think that they're experiencing some of this changes in their moods postpartum. I would definitely recommend reaching out to a doula. Are there any tips 
that you can give moms that may be experiencing postpartum? If we're talking about doing more than what I call the base level of self-care, right? So everybody knows to do that if you can, but let's say that I already had that advice. If you haven't already made a care plan, it can be helpful to actually ask the people around you, what did you used to do to feel better? And they're going to have more of a, of an idea. And sometimes they think of things that you wouldn't have even thought of on your own care plan, your friend, your mom, your partner, if you have one, that kind of thing is going to be really helpful. A lot of the same things that we're talking about that have nothing to do with postpartum, but our mood disorders are going to be really helpful. Going outside and getting vitamin D, getting out in nature is huge. Even for people that don't necessarily like nature, just going outside can be really, really helpful. But the best advice that I can give is getting reliable help to come and take that burden off of you to be a listening ear, not someone that's just going to talk at you and make it to where when you go outside, you can go outside by yourself and maybe have a little me time and have your favorite drink and watch puppies play together or whatever it looks like for you. Having time where you're not responsible for taking care of someone else is huge. That's awesome, Kristen. Awesome advice. And if you're listening and you've reached out to people and they're not listening, reach out to somebody else. Just keep reaching out until somebody listens to what you're talking about, because we don't want you to be by yourself or think these thoughts by yourself, because sometimes it feels like you're all alone and you're really not here. So re keep reaching out. This is so important, Kristen. No matter where you live, there's a helpline. for Just get on Google and look up helplines and you don't have to give them your information. If you're uncomfortable sharing that with people that know about you, and you can just call and ask for help and have a listening ear that way if there's no other way for you to get help in your Opening the conversation, getting the information out there so people know what's available to them. And I think the process with the doula is sounds so empowering. It sounds like a totally different type of birth experience mm -hmm. than just your medical labor and delivery. This whole process from beginning to end is that. It's an experience. It sounds beautiful and you have um, support through the whole thing and that that's empowering. And I think everyone should have a doula. Yeah, I do too. Me too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kristen, for everything. Bye. 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 Amy, this has been amazing. I'm so glad that Kristen came on because this is such an important message for so many women to hear what she had to say. So I am grateful for one for Kristen to be on here. It was just great having Kristen on here. Really, I just the awareness. I just want women to know that this option is available to them. I wish I'd have known this when I had my kids. My youngest is 18, so it's been a long time. And I wish I'd have known I had these options because I think it can totally change the birth experience and the whole the whole pregnancy experience. And you know, when you have a good pregnancy experience, a good labor experience, and you have a your tribe there with you postpartum, you're really going to be able to take control of your mental health. You're really going to not only you be watching your mental health, but a team of people around you every step of the way, pretty much from conception to whenever, whenever Kristen said she stays as long as, as you want her there. And I just think that's incredible. I think Kristen's doing great things in the world for women's health for women, for babies, for families. And I'm just grateful to her and to all doulas. And I just can't say enough good things about it.
Can you imagine if we had more doulas in the world so that every woman could have somebody by her side before, during, and after those critical moments when all your chemicals in your brain are going crazy and you're just trying to have a beautiful baby and a beautiful experience. And there's so many other things that you have to think about and do that if somebody was next to you, helping you get through it, how incredible that would be and how much it would change our world. I wish it was the standard. I wish it was too. And maybe, maybe with this podcast, this is one step in that little piece of changing the, changing our world. I, I hope so. Amy, I think we have a monthly box that's about to end in another week and a half. If people don't get on it, I know we've only got a few left. So please tell them we have this great box with all these wonderful things in it. This month's holistic box focuses on manifestation. We want to help you manifest your goals, hopes, and dreams. And this box is very easy to use, and it includes directions for each item. This is a perfect gift for yourself or someone else. So this box includes a manifestation candle that is a lavender sage soy candle, a Palo Santo selenite bundle, a journal, manifestation cards, affirmation cards, motivational bracelets, and a manifestation check. It sounds like a great box, especially that check, Amy. I know I have one on my vision board because I manifest stuff on that vision board that literally comes to life. Ah, I love that. And the journal. I love the journal because journaling is so important. You can get this box at on our website, the same link as last month. The link will be in the show notes. And it's $49.95 for the box. And you have the option to use Afterpay to pay in four interest-free payments of $12.49 or PayPal in four with four interest-free payments of $12.49. Supplies are limited and we're almost at the end of the month. So you want to get your order in today so you don't miss out on this box. Yes, you do. And you also want to get it today because you want to start manifesting. You want to start making things happen in your life. If you feel stuck at all, or you feel like you want to go in a certain direction and you need a little bit of help, this manifestation pack will help you in that right direction to try to take that energy one step higher and get you there. As you're listening to this podcast, if you have any questions or concerns, reach out to us. And if we can't help you, we can find the right people who can. And um, I'm excited for our series to continue next week. Amy, who do we have on? Next week, we're having on the show, Dr. Lisa B. Schaefer, psychologist at the Center for Trauma and Abuse. So I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about prenatal, postnatal mood disorders and mental health for women. Thank you so much, Amy. It has been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to seeing you next week. I'll see you next week, Shelly. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Holistic Wednesdays with Amy and Shelly. Love our content? Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at holistic underscore Wednesdays. That's holistic with a W. 
and subscribe to our YouTube channel for extra content and live events. You can also reach us at our email holisticwednesdays at gmail.com. See you next Wednesday.